0: This morning I'm really excited about what I've got to share with you. Um, I've got something on my heart and um, I was thinking as by way of introduction, um, sort of the importance of little books in my life. Here are two little books that have completely transformed the way I think and the way I see God. One of them I've shared before on and it's called Let Your Life Speak. And over one summer, that was a really significant message that God gave to me. And this year, um, we were in a caravan, um, my brother-in-law and sister's caravan, and I happened to be looking around for something to read, and I happened to open a little door in the caravan and out popped a book, and it's called The Furious Longing of God. Am I making sounds? Okay, let's see if we can change that before we go any further. Any luck? That's great. So the message that I've got today is called The Relentless Pursuit of God. The Relentless Pursuit of God in His Activity to Catch Our Attention. Um, I asked the worship team to um, sing that song this morning about the reckless love of God because there's something stirring in my heart and any messages that I share have to come first and be birthed in my own heart before I can give them to you. I tried really hard this week. I actually forgot that I was preaching and didn't find out till Tuesday of this week and in the busyness of my life I thought oh I know what I'll do I'll just take an old message and revamp it but I can't do that. I just can't do that. If I'm gonna pass on something to you, it has to come from the life of God within me and what he's stirring up and doing in my own life. The back of this little book, The Furious Longing of God by Brennan Manning says, imagine a stormy day at sea. Your ship is yielding to the relentless wind and it's pummeled by crashing waves, subject to the awesome force of nature a force that is both furious and majestic, a power that is nothing short of furious. Such is God's intense love for his children. It's a love that knows no limits, no boundaries, and a love that will go to any lengths, take any risks to passionately pursue us. In the Oxford Dictionary, there's a noun for fury, um, and it, it makes it as a noun. And it's also associated with the. Extre- and the noun that the Oxford, Univer- Oxford Dictionary uses is for extreme anger. Now, that's not what I'm talking about this morning. I'm not talking about the anger of God. I'm talking about the fact that he is like... It's like a fury of a storm gathering momentum... And the purpose of that is to grab your attention, to capture your heart, to intimately connect with you as an individual. By Jesus entering the human history, God has demolished all preconceived ideas of who God is and what man's response to him should be. The awesome love of, love of our invisible God Suddenly, when Jesus came to earth, became visible, audible, and present in our lives. Isn't that a great quote? That when Jesus came to earth, that was when God, the invisible God, became visible, audible, and I want to tell you, present in our daily lives today. It's like a storm that gathers intensity. God is on a mission to capture your attention. He's on a passionate pursuit to, first of all, gain your attention so that you will find faith for the first time. We've got a great um, opportunity that we've been having. In fact, it's our last night, I think, of Alpha this week tonight. Is that right? We've been meeting together with others, those that have been on a journey, and some of them for the very first time and he's actually here amongst us today. God has got his attention. And when we went to pray for this young man, we, it, one of the things that he said back to us was that he said, I've got lots of questions in my head, but God has captured my heart. Another young lady that's on our Alpha course at the moment th- with English as a second language, and we thought she had, we thought that Alpha was this first opportunity for God to grab her attention. How excited could that be about her? And then as the course went on, suddenly we found out that Alpha was just part of a process. In fact, her very parents in another country and land far away are, um, are pastors of a church. And she had, over the period of her life, left that pathway, and she was wandering and mirandering, and as we prayed for her, I saw this picture of a very obscure path that had gone all over the place to eventually find her way home to the heart of the Father. I dedicate this message I know that most of us have been in church a long time, but I dedicate this message to the one or two that may be amongst us. For the lost and the broken and the weary, I today hold a banner high and declare that it is a reality and not a hope that God is actively out there on a search for you. He is actively engaged in searching for you. I don't know your stories, you don't know mine, but all I know is that God is actively out there at work in our lives to get our attention. And for some of us, it's for the first time, or it might be the first time that we've actually really realised that this is a time when we need to respond back to the heart of God. You see, if you're lost like that lamb, that one out of 99 the parable that says that Jesus left the other 99 safely in the fold to pursue the one that was lost in the brambles, bleeding and hurting from the issues of life, from the things that they'd been involved in and, and caught in the brambles. And it says that Jesus left the 99 safely in the fold to search for that one. I was thinking about the shepherd with the rod and the staff and trying to get my head around which way it was and which one lo- looked like what. But I knew that one of them, the rod or the staff, had a kind of kink in it and it had the a, had a ability for the shepherd to go into those brambles and get it round the neck of that lost and lonely lamb, that lamb that was bleeding and completely ill at ease and, and lost and bring it out from those brambles and bring it home. Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, and therefore the Lord earnestly waits. He's expecting and looking and longing to be gracious to you. What a message we've got for the world out there who totally misunderstand who this God is that we love and serve. God says he's expecting and looking and longing to be gracious. And therefore he lifts himself up. I can see him sort of trying to Figuratively, stand up taller so that people will see him instead of just misinterpreting him. He goes to great lengths in people's lives that he would have mercy and show loving kindness. That is the message that we have to give to others. But it's more than that. Other than the lost and the broken and the weary that have yet to find the shepherd, Part of my message today is dedicated to the fact that God goes further than that. He's not just after our attention to get our attention and for us to come to know him for the first time, but his heart is relentless in pursuit of continuing to have our attention, continuing to work in our lives Not to just let us come to him and sit there playing a harp on a cloud, but to actually have our lives transformed. And he will go to any lengths, at great lengths, to get our attention. It's like the 99 and the fold. He doesn't leave them forever. He comes back and he shepherds and tends to them. But he expects something from them. And whereas he uses his staff to get the, round the neck of the lost and lonely and sheep that's caught in the brambles, I was thinking that he actually, for the rest of the 99, do you know what he really wants to do often? He wants to prod us. He wants to get us moving. He wants us to decide that, for heaven's sake, it's not just to be left safely in a fold, but we've got a mission on our lives. There's a whole world out there that is yet to find him. And I just imagined in my mind, God there, you know, with that prodding staff or the rod actually just saying, I am in relentless pursuit also of you. Even though you've known me forever, it feels, there are things I want to do in your life. This healing I want to do in your life that others don't even know is there, the brokenness that's there that we cover up so well, that we pretend we're fine when inside of us there's something aching and longing, to connect again with the fury of a loving God who's in pursuit of us. I haven't got time to make this message one entirely centred on that theme, but I collect little things as I go along. I've got subjects for, for the 99 and the safe fold. One message I'd like to, to, um, to do at some stage that's sparked in me is the habit of enjoying Adversity. What a great title. I remember the day I got it. I got, I got this sort of thought going through my mind from a reading I was doing. The habit of enjoying adversity. And I'd just been dumped with two lots of information that had nothing to do with me that then, would then have severe and serious consequences on my life by other people. The habit of enjoying adversity. Thank you, God. I'll keep working on that one. Another one, what do you do in the darkness? What do you do when life goes dark or the lights turn out and God seems silent? What do you do then? How do you find him? What is your response? What should you be doing? I won't get distracted. But another one... A favorite of mine, which will come out as we move through this message this morning, is once that we've been brought safely back in the fold, our mission is not to try and earn earn and pay back God the favor. That's not what he wants. He doesn't want us then to become um, passionately trying to pay back the favor he's given us by being good, by doing right things. He wants us in a living and vital relationship with him. So, an example I want to give of John's restful repose, I've called it. Thomas Brodie, an Irish scholar, wrote a commentary on the Gospel of John, and it has been argued that his whole starting point of how he interpreted the Gospel of John is a theology that is the abiding and restful union the abiding and restful union. He read the whole of John and he brought out this theme above everything else about the fact that when we come to faith, we need to learn a place of restful union with God and not, fu- not furious activity to try and do things. Something in our heart has to find a restful place. Now, I couldn't help but think of John in that one scene of the Lord's Supper. He's the one that dares to have the audacity to lean on the the chest of Jesus. where all the other disciples and all the other pictures that I know are sort of lined up prim and proper. Yeah, all lined up. Jesus is in the middle. And what do we find? We find the disciple that Jesus loved leaning against Jesus. There's something about that that he wants us to capture. We can be the disciples of Jesus that do amazing things for him, but he wants us always to know how to find rest and to lean and not always be active. I had to laugh, I was thinking to myself, I wonder if John, the disciple, knew that as he leaned on the the, uh, chest of Jesus that that picture would go viral how many times have you seen throughout all the generations of history that, that supper with, with, with John leaning on Jesus and all the others lined up? In fact, years ago when we were in Florence, in the markets of Florence, I picked up a, um, a needle thread embroidery of it and bought it back and framed it. And that very picture has been on the wall of my family, my mum and dad's, for years and years, and I've now inherited it. And when I look at it, I need to be reminded... That despite everything that I might be doing, no matter what activity I might be involved in for God, I have to find in my soul a place of rest. I have to find that. To be fully alive, I must know his love, his furious, passionate pursuit of me, That is not really merely just to get my attention, but it's to daily engage with me that I would learn what it is to be fully alive. I came across this term the other day, to be fully alive in God. It's packed with all sorts of things that go off in my heart. But I want to, and I'm sure you want to, as you go through your life, And that is why God is passionately after us, to make sure that we're not half asleep, that we're not distracted, that we're not going down pathways that are going to lead us to danger, but that we are fully alive in him. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, to cease from striving and know that I am God's. Now this little book I was showing you before by Brenning Manning says that after he read the commentary on John, he said after reading Brodie's commentary, and I just love this and I think it's probably going to go up behind me, he decided that if I had to live my life over again, I would not only climb more mountains, swim more rivers, watch more sunsets, I, would, I wouldn't only get rid of my hot water bottle, that That's not negotiable in my case. My raincoat, my umbrella, my parachute or my raft. I would not only go barefoot earlier in spring and stay out later in the fall, but I would devote not one more minute to monitoring my own spiritual growth. Not one more minute What he was expressing there was the fact that some of us get sidetracked in our walk with God and we're forever monitoring how we're going, whether we're pleasing the Father. And there's something that God wants to shift in our hearts and our emotions to the fact that he is delighted in us that he is passionately there and concerned about our daily life. He's not there sitting, ticking or crossing off the activities of our lives. He wants us to have a freedom in our lives and our relationship with him. I couldn't help but then move on to something that by way of, it says no human world word is ever more even remotely adequate to convey the mysterious and furious longing that Jesus has for you and me to live in his smile and hang on his words and the best description of that can go with the terminology of what it means to be grafted now I know that there's a few gardeners out there amongst us today and you know the example already that Jesus talks about being grafted to the vine Um, There is a, um, what it actually explains is I, I actually went on a bit of homework to look at what grafting was all about. It's a horticultural process, which often I tend to lean towards because I love my gardening. Romans 11 verse 17 describes a wild olive shoot sharing the richness of the root tree. If we're going to get to a place of restful repose, where our life in God has a sense and a rhythm of achieving the things he wants us to do without strife, we need to know what it is to be grafted to the vine. And in that picture there behind me, you'll see that it's the, on the left-hand side, something was cut off from the main tree. It was cut off, it's all, and that depicts the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and I. Those are, that's God himself who sacrificed his life so that we, each of us, could be grafted into the root tree that would sustain us. And that we would be able to draw on, out of, the very life of God within us. And as I thought about that, I thought about the fact that if each of us, in that right-hand side of that picture, if each of us actually get grafted in and draw on the life of God for ourselves, imagine the number of fruitful vines that would be throughout our city. Each of our lives. But do you notice there's a bandage around that? That in the grafting process, it's not only was it painful for God himself to let Jesus die for us, but when we're grafted into Jesus, when we first come to faith, it can also be a painful process, and it needs to be wrapped, and the wound needs to heal. And I encourage you, if you know new people coming to faith, to be there for them as they ask questions, as they find what this new life is, that we need to be rooted and grounded in the love of God, each and every one of us. The call is for us to come to his love and then settle and remain in that love and constantly as we're grafted to God himself, draw on his resources. Ephesians three seventeen to 19 is a favorite of mine. May Christ through your faith actually dwell. May God find a place where he can settle down in your life and make his home a permanent one in your hearts, that you may be rooted deep in his love and securely in his love that you would know God for yourself. Now, I describe the relentless pursuit of God that's after us to first capture our attention and then continually pursue us so that we would be fully alive. But you know, we have options. In each of those situations, we have options. I know that God is in a passionate pursuit of every individual on the face of the earth. But when we first find him in that pursuit, We either run towards him, or we run away from him. I think of a deer. There's a story of a farmer driving through the countryside at dusk and he looks over the fence, and he sees in the distance a a deer, a young deer. What are they called? Anybody know? I couldn't remember. What's a young deer? A fawn. Okay. A fawn, all lonely and alone, right at the very back of a paddock. So he gets his his searchlight out, and he goes and he searches, much like the lost sheep, the one of 99, and he shines his torch in the distance, and there's the deer, the young fawn. And its first response is just to go frozen, absolutely frozen, because he'd never seen this man before. He didn't know the light. The light seemed too bright. And at that very moment, as the, as the farmer went out of his way to rescue a fawn that he didn't even know about, it wasn't part of his flock, the deer has two, had two options, to either run away or run towards And you know, we have exactly the same choices even if we've been in faith forever, for a long, long time. When we realize that God is in active pursuit of us on an issue, on something that he wants us to change, or on something he wants to shift in our mindset, we have two options. We either respond and come to him and say, thank you, Father. Thank you, God. I trust your heart. I know that your intention is only for my good and not for any harm. And if you're speaking to me on this issue, I will come to you. I will respond. I will do anything that's necessary. And I don't know about you, but God's always in pursuit of me. There's always something he's hounding, not hounding me. That's a wrong word. He's pursuing me on. And sometimes it's just a shift of mindset where I've thought of God in a certain way and he wants me to see him differently, that I will be free and fully alive other times it could be an issue that he wants me to, to actually take note of and do something about and change. And those are important things in our lives. But, you know, as the being grafted into the vine, do you know what's been happening lately for me? Far from perfect, and my husband doesn't need to remind me that I'm not, there are times that are continually surprising me because I am drawing on the life of God that he says suddenly spectacularly, when I face circumstance that I did not want to happen or to be part of my life, he deposits something in my heart. He gives me the grace. He gives me the ability. It's like one minute it's not there and the next it's been deposited because my heart, despite its frailty and humanity, has always been to go root deep into the roots of the love of God, and the benefit of that is when you get when you get the unexpected, when something happens in your life that you did not want, you did not deserve, God deposits something in you, by way of grace, by way of faith that you could not have had yourself, the way that tomorrow I will still be with you. And not only tomorrow will I still be with you, but there's a great future ahead. There is stuff I have for you ahead. When we are grafted and go deep into the roots of God, be surprised when you face circumstances unexpectedly, but even then, you still have a choice. Those amazing verses in Scripture, in Matthew 11, that say, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your soul. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And then it goes on to say who God is. And you will find rest for your soul. My yoke is wholesome, useful, and good, not harsh and hard and and pressing. My burden is light and easy to be borne, but we must come to him. We must fall on our face before him. Oswald Chambers has a message on this. I just wanted to pick out a couple of thoughtful things. Um, in, In Oswald Chambers' daily readings, my uttermost for his highest, I've got it marked with tears, I've got it marked with all sorts of things, I've got it marked with pencil, but it's about how we need to come to him in our lives. The questions that matter, that truly matter, are remarkably few, and they are all answered by these words, come to me. Not do this, not do that, but simply come. At the most unexpected moments in your life, there is the whisper of the Lord, come to me, and you are immediately drawn to him. Personal contact with Jesus changes everything. And what I loved about that passage, as he explained it, is that, and I will give you rest. What do you think of as rest? Do you think of it as just lounging out, sitting down, doing nothing, chilled out? Do you know the rest that God wants to give us is not a rest from activity. It's a rest in our soul so that we can actually be fully alive. It's not about doing nothing. It's not about doing nothing. In fact, it says, and I will give you rest, a rest that sustains you, causing you to stand firm. And if my life's like any of yours, there are times when we need to know how to stand firm not a, wo- a not a word of come to me and i will put you to put you to bed and hold your hand and sing you to sleep not that kind of one not that kind of one at all but i will make you fully alive and out of that place of rest you will suddenly find the purpose for which you're destined that you will work with me on the mission that i've got you here on this world to do That is the kind of rest God wants to give us. Rest to our souls, not to lull us to sleep, but to get us active. That's that prod of the rod. Now, Jesus modeled this most spectacularly. Jesus, at the end of a very busy time of ministry, was simply exhausted now, it's probably not fair to say, and accurate, because he was God in himself, that he had had enough of people, but to a degree, he probably had. And there's a passage in there in Luke 11 where it says he just wanted to be alone. And so he steals himself away from the crowd to find a quiet place to pray, and in a very short time, the disciples notice his absence and go and search for him. I've often thought, oh, wouldn't he love to have just been left alone? And the disciples come and they find him after this busy, busy period of ministry. They go through the Kidron Valley and they almost stumble upon Jesus. And do you know what Jesus was doing? He was exhausted. He had had it. He had worked really hard. He was physically exhausted from ministering to so many people. But do you know what he did? He withdrew to the desert and they found him on the ground, mute, motionless and utterly absorbed in communication with his father that's where he ran for his resources they had never seen a man pray like Jesus was praying as he lay on the ground and as he rose from the ground and thankfully for us one of his disciples rather astutely said Jesus teach us how to pray they saw him when he had his greatest needs to be emotionally res- re- um, replenished, his physical resources, when he had had so much from what he had been giving out. And what did he do? He went to the desert, he lay on the ground, and he communicated with his father. And fortunately for us, as I said, one of the disciples said, show us how to do that. And that from that came the Lord's prayer, our father Who art in heaven. Now, I don't know how many of you came to the um, Peter Gregg series on the Lord's Prayer, but it was absolutely amazing. An amazing um, outline to get us to actually um, unpack the Lord's Prayer. But do you know some of the most powerful words in the whole of that for most of us are the first two? Our Father. Our Father. Now, pagan ph- uh, philosophers over the past and upright to the present will tell you that God, if he does exist, and there's a great question mark on that, that he at very best will be vague, he will be at a distance, and he will not be interested in the details of your life. Who wrote that song, At a Distance? God Being at a Distance? I was thinking about it playing in my head. It's done more harm than good to, than any song probably to assume that the God that truly exists is a God that stands at a distance. No, he's our Father, our Father. The Old Testament tried to, through the lives of, of um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and many more, gave a warmer, more compassionate face to the, to the heart of God and the face of God. But to an astonished community that were made of Jews at the time, Jesus took to a completely different level the concept of God as a father. That father, as you already know, the term doesn't mean just father. It means Abba, father. It means daddy. It means the intimate terms that a a father and a child have between them. Not something hard and distant. Papa, my own dear father. I have a father and I call him Papa and I know what that means in the natural. And my father has lived an amazing life but he'll never be the perfect father in the sense that God is. The contrast is that when... When Jesus said, our Father, it's like he bundled up all the very, very best of all mothers and fathers' attributes to their children of compassion and love and understanding and long-suffering and always there no matter what. Even when you, make a, you go and do something terribly wrong or even remotely wrong, what is the father there? He's there with his arms open there to say, just come and talk to me about it. Let's sort this out together. Let's sort this out together. We need to learn from the example of Jesus when life gets tough when it gets to the stage where we're not sure if we can take any more, that instead of running away from the father, the very first thing we do is run towards him when he calls to us to come. I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know what you're dealing with today. All I know is that this is the true expression of the nature and character of God. He's not hard to find he's not preoccupied, he's not above all else a passive observer to the story of your life or mine, no, he is actively engaged and involved. I want to finish on something here, I want to read you the story, I can't read it all to you because it's too graphic, but I will read you what I can of it. If you ever want a good read, look up these, um, this person's, um, this guy, um, Brennan Manning, he's also written another one called The Ragamuffin Gospel, The Ragamuffin Gospel. This is what he says. This is the story of one lady who learnt to, to communicate with God as Abba Father. He says, I will never forget a retreat experience a few years ago in Midwest of America. It was a rather large gathering, he says. He says it was about 7,000 people. I would say that was rather large. He said there was an invitation for healing and prayer that followed at the night service. And he would go to the side room and meet with many people who felt that compelled to come to pray for healing one particular night after a line of extended people went way beyond midnight he went he withdrew to his room and while he went off to sleep he'd taken his clothes he was off he was he was in his pajamas he was lying there exhausted he fell off to sleep and at three o'clock in the morning there was a knock on the door a gentle tap he says a squeaky little voice on the other side brennan can i talk to you He says, I opened the door and I found a 78 year old nun, a sweet little nun, her name was Genevieve. And she began to say, and she began to cry. And he said, sister, what can I do? What can I do? And we found, he said, the two of us sitting in the corridor outside in our dressing gowns and her story began. She said, I've never told anyone before the entire um, longevity of my life. I'm in my 70s now and I'm a nun. But it started at four year, five years old and it continued until I was 12. And my father abused me physically. He abused me at the beginning in a way that just sucked me in, I, got, I didn't understand it. He told me that this is what the doctor ordered And then it got worse, it got worse. At nine, he raped her, and the abuse continued until she was 12. I can't read you the details. He said, in the next few minutes I prayed for her and for a healing. And then I told her to go away, and for the next 30 days, She was just to say, no matter when she woke, whatever she was doing, Abba, Father, Daddy, I belong to you. Can you imagine with that kind of history, even mentioning the word Father? But she took his advice. She took his advice and all the way through those 30 days, despite how she felt so broken, she said, Abba, Father, I belong to you. She said she would go and do it, and she did it. And one morning, a very moving and poetic follow-up amongst the letters that I received, I received one that came from the sister, from Genevieve. And in it, she described the inner healing in her heart, the complete and utter forgiveness she was able to give to her father. And the inner peace she had found just by repeating day after day after day, Abba, Father, I belong to you. She finishes the letter by saying, A year ago, I would have signed this letter with my real name in my religious life, which is Sister Mary Genevieve. But from now on, I will sign my letters, Daddy's Little Girl daddy's little girl. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what kind of misconceptions have come upon your life over the years. I don't know what you're striving to do for God instead of resting in him. But I want to encourage you that coming to him as a father brings healing and hope and life to every one of our lives. Do you know, for some of us, the brokenness is on the outside and it's obvious for the world to absorb. But you know, most of us, in fact, all of us have broken sections of our lives that need to be healed by the Father. And I wanna encourage you as we sing, just before, we're gonna sing this song, The Relentless Love of God, again, and then I'm gonna get Jenny who's prepared a poem uh, a, a little narrative of what this means in the real world to read that after we've sung maybe once the reckless love of God. And I'll get Jenny to, to, to um, do the poem and then we will finish singing it again. And if God wants to minister life, which I know he does to those of us here today, I will encourage you to reach out to him not to run away from him, but to find him, whatever is going on in your life, that each and every one of us will be grafted and deeply rooted in him and be fully alive. So let's sing this and Jenny, I'll get you to come and share.
1: The great love story of the scriptures reveals a lover who longs for us, for you and me. The story of my life and the story of your life is the story of the long and passionate pursuit of your heart by the one who knows you best and loves you the most. This poem is about the love, and when you hear he, think God, and when you hear her, Put your own name in it, the word, me, in there instead. From his very first glance of her, right from the start, his steadfast purpose was to win over her heart. He would give his life fully to romance, to woo, to hound her with love and to fiercely pursue. For in his heart was a place only she'd ever fill, a void with her name, just waiting until she would hear his voice whisper, then she'd turn and see the one who loved her unfathomably. There was no fear of beauty in his love-filled eyes, no cost too outrageous, no greater prize, so he kept his heart open to woo her back in, for his greatest desire was for her to choose him but how his heart ached when she'd glance away other lovers enticing the chance to betray but he saw past her failures to all she could be so he loved and pursued her relentlessly and when she felt abandoned in her darkest nights oh how he longed just to make it all right but instead he walked with her amidst all her pain, so she'd learn to trust his devotion again. Through her doubts, her confusion, regrets and mistakes, he whispered, I'll do whatever it takes. Despite what you're feeling, what you may say or do, I'm never going to give up on you how his love rescues us time after time, making the statement, you'll always be mine. Not dependent on what we feel or we choose, his intent is to always passionately pursue.
0: I want to call to the parts of your heart and your spirit and your soul that have been moved by something in this message today. And as we all stand, if there's something that you know that God is calling, that he wants to do in your life, that you've been running from him instead of towards him, that you haven't learned to come, or you haven't learned to rest, or you've had pictures in your mind of a harsh father than the Abba father that he is, I invite you to just raise your hand where you are and that those people around you will just lay their hands hands upon you and pray for God to minister his life to you do you know so often we we do come forward and we ask others to do the hard stuff for us but you know the most significant parts of my life when my life has changed is when I put my hand up before the Almighty God and said just do your work God I'm open and I need the support of others around me but if this is your moment If you're that person that's been just paddling around in the things of God and had a nice happy face on, but in reality, you've barely gone into the water. I just ask you now, as we just finish with this song, that you raise your hand. If you think that anything in this message is ministered or called to the heart of the Father in you, and those around you, I ask, just lay your hands gently on the hands of the person with their arm raised and just pray gently for them that God will be at work in their life. So let's finish with that. Let's be open to what God wants to do. Thank you, Father. Raise your hand if you want ministry or prayer, if you just want to acknowledge before God that there's something you want to deal with, there's something you want to see changed. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus.